Luke 23, 26 through 43. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Siren, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there following followed him a great multitude of the people and the women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the, all the wombs that never bore and the breast that never nursed. For they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is so the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there also was an inscription over him, saying, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember him when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Amen. Now, I know it's Advent season, and you're asking me, and you're wondering, why are we going through the crucifixion at this point, at this time? Well, the simple answer is I'm trying to get through the Gospel of Luke by the end of the year. Um, but also, as I was going through this chapter and realizing sort of what we've been learning in um, the, the Women's Discipleship Group and our Foundations Group, uh, this subject of wrath kept coming up in the passages that we were studying. And as I read this passage, I realized that this passage is about wrath. And I thought it'd be appropriate for us to really seize upon this time for our whole church to understand what it is that Jesus has done for us. At least one of the things that Jesus has done for us in procuring our salvation. But I will say this, the next two or three weeks, we'll take a break from the Gospel of Luke, and we'll look at other passages to see uh, what it is to wait for Jesus, and what it is to expect his first coming, and what it means to expect his second coming as well. But I do pray that the Lord would bless us as we go through this passage together and begin to understand the fullness of God's love for us. Let me pray for us briefly. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this morning that you have given to us. And we ask of you once again, as we study your word, that you would open up our hearts to receive it, Lord. May we, Lord, be in awe of you, and may that allness lead us to repentance. May that repentance 
repentance lead to forgiveness. May that forgiveness lead to strength and courage to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, we think about that word, sacrifice. And we think about someone or something dying for someone else. And we think about that dying of someone else, usually only in, in one way, um, and especially in our Christian world today. We think that when Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus basically um, took away our, our unrighteousness, that we have done something wrong, and that Jesus has atoned for it by dying on the cross and has taken away our sins. It's as if we were to go before a, a, a courtroom and the, the, the fine was, I don't know, $100. And, and Jesus says, here, I'll, I'll pay the $100 for you. We, our sins or our wrongdoing, our unrighteousness has been taken away. Now, in theology, we, we call that term expiation, that Jesus has expiated or has erased our sin. Our record of wrong is no longer counted against us. We are no longer criminals in, in the judicial system of the Lord. We are made clean or we made whole again in the Lord. And I think for many of us, this idea of Jesus dying for me and taking away our sins uh, makes sense to us. This is what we've been taught by by many people, and this is what we sort of understand as we as we um, have been raised in the Christian life. But there's another term that we need to understand about what Jesus did: <coughs> the cross. You see, in Romans it says that Jesus is a propitiation for our sins. First John chapter two, verse two says the same thing. Um, in Ephesians, we, we read that by nature, all people are objects of wrath. Those terms of propitiation, objects of wrath, has not, does not deal with the guilt or the unrighteousness of the person. It's not centered on the person themselves, but it's centered on God. And what Jesus did when he died on that cross is that not only did he take away our guilt, but he absorbed God's wrath as well. Propitiation, when you propitiate someone, it means you sort of, you calm them down, you take away the wrath, you absorb the punishment that is there. And in Ephesians, it says, by nature, you and I were objects. Of wrath. And so the flip side of the same coin of the atonement or the sacrifice of Jesus, one side is expiation, that our records have been expunged. But the other side is what we call propitiation. That is the wrath of God, his righteous wrath has been absorbed by Jesus himself. And this is an important thing for us to understand. When Jesus was on that cross, he was not simply dying to erase our wrongs. But the wrath that he experienced on that cross was the same wrath that was meant for you 
and for me. That his dying on the cross was not simply a sacrifice of a lamb to take away our unrighteousness. But the fact that he died on the cross well, was Jesus experiencing the fullness of the fury of God himself. We know that Jesus, this death on the cross, and that his three days being buried before he rose again from the, de the dead, that that punishment, that excruciating punishment of being separated from the Lord was the wrath that he experienced. To be separated from the Father from whom he has never been separated from, from all of eternity, is the punishment that he experienced for you and for me. And here in this passage, Jesus wants us to not look at sort of expiation, okay? Jesus doesn't want to look us to look at that side of the coin of, of our guilt and of our guilt and shame at this point. He wants us to look at the other side of the coin and understand God's holy wrath. His holy, righteous wrath. And he wants to, uh, us to understand that on a judgment day, that all of us who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ will experience the fullness of that wrath. Now, this is not very popular in our world today. No one wants to hear about the wrath of God. No one wants to hear about the judgment of God. People want to hear about the love of God. But in this passage here, in this crucifixion, the writer tells us that God's holy wrath is coming. It's coming. And for us to be aware of what this wrath looks like. Let's look at verse 26 through 31. <coughs> Excuse me. But turning to them, verse 28, uh, Jesus said, you know, these are people who are lamenting and mourning over Jesus's death. But Jesus says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourself and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the word wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus himself understands that he's going to take on the fullness of the wrath of God on that cross and when he dies. And yet in his love, he still turns to the daughters of Zion, basically addressing all of Jerusalem and says, you need to weep for yourself. You need to have the fear of God in your life. There will come a day where you wish you had no children. There will come a day when those people who do not have children will be more blessed than you. There will come a day where you will wish 
the mountains would fall down upon you. There will come a day when you wish that you would not witness the fullness of the wrath of God. Now, listen, Jesus isn't sort of looking at them and saying, listen, uh, repent of your sins. Jesus isn't looking at them and saying, you're a sinner before the Lord. You have sinned against God himself. I'm dying on the cross for you at this point. But what he's trying to show them is the ugliness of the crucifixion that is about to happen to him, that that ugliness, well, will not compare to the ugliness of the fullness of the wrath of God on those who do not believe in him. And in some ways, what Jesus is trying to do is, as we like to say in our world, in our world today, put the fear of God in people. Put a holy fear in the hearts of people. That they would realize and that we would realize that there will come a day where because of our unrighteousness and our sins, God's wrath will be bestowed upon us. I think we need to sort of unpack this in our own lives today. What does this mean? What does this look like? I think we, we often forget that without Christ, God's wrath rests on those who do not know him. That there needs to be a holy mourning and a holy lamenting for those in our world who do not see Jesus. There needs to be a desire in our hearts to, to pray for brothers and sisters, to walk with people who do not yet know the Lord, and to speak not only about you know, you're guilty of your sin and you need to come to Jesus. But also the consequences of wrath and punishment that the Lord has for them. We as God's people are taught to love and we need to love people. We are taught to be hospitable and to invite the stranger into our home and invite neighbors and really sort of start talking to them about who we are and about who, hopefully, who Jesus is. Oftentimes, when we are hospitable to people, we invite people into our homes who may, be, who may not know Jesus. Um, we're very, very careful in how we speak about who this Christ is. Uh, Saturday morning or yesterday morning, we, the missions committee had the uh, um, privilege of talking with our two two missionaries who who serve um, the Muslim community, the refugee Muslim community in Clarkston. And one of the most beautiful things that I heard as they were sort of sharing with us their testimony um, 
was the fact that they would have these refugee families over to their house, over to their homes. And one family said, asked them, you know, do you celebrate Christmas or something to that effect? Are you going to put up a tree? And they said, well, we haven't put up a tree yet, but if you want to come over, you're welcome to come over and we can put the tree up together and we can put the ornaments up together. And this, these just children are like over the moon about it. It's like, yeah, let's, can we do that? We've never seen a Christmas tree. We don't know what that looks like. And the missionary said to us, you know, you know, by God's grace, you know, every ornament that we have has special meaning to it. <clears throat> and we have ornaments that have passages of scripture on it. And so we're going to have them over. And we're going to share the gospel with them, with each ornament that we put on. And their whole thing is that, you know, when you are hospitable to people, you have to be hospitable with the truth and love of the gospel. And to have hospitality with hard conversations at times. That to be hospitable without showing the fullness of who God is, in the end will not help that person escape the wrath of God. And so for us as a church and us as individuals, when we have conversations with people, We don't simply talk. Let us not simply talk about Jesus is here to save you, take away your sins, to make you righteous, to take away your guilt, to make you feel better about who you are, because that's how it will be construed. But we also need to talk about the holy wrath of God as well. That God's righteousness implies judgment, implies a time where people would wish that the mountains would fall upon them. The wrath of God is, is coming. It's real. It came on Christ this first time. to take away the sins and to propitiate that wrath for those who believe. But it will come a second time as well, in the end, for those who do not know the Lord. Secondly, we see the story of the criminals. <coughs> and the two criminals there are, are, are being hanged. And in verse 39, one of them says, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Then verse 40, But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. Verse 41, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. There's an understanding that um, between one, sorry, um, these two criminals have a different understanding of their punishment that they are receiving. 
the first one understands that they have he has done wrong but he wants escape a simple escape from this punishment um and to get away with his criminal acts he wants to be sort of uh excused for what he's done wrong simply to get away with the life that he has he wants jesus to use his power for his own gain for his own unrighteousness for his own desire to save his skin this is the, the philosophy of, of we hear of what we heard during world war ii right that uh, there are no atheists in foxholes in other words when you feel imminent death everyone wants to believe everyone wants to be rescued everyone wants to be saved but it's a second criminal that gives us a template of what it means to to understand the nature of our guilt and punishment or our guilt and wrath the second criminal understands that he is guilty for what he has done he has sinned he's broken the law he understands that his punishment of crucifixion is just that he deserves the penalty of death here in this world and he looks to christ and he sees that this man has done nothing wrong and that what's happening to him is unjust compared to what's happening uh, to the criminal, to himself. Here we have an understanding of the purpose of the law or God's Ten Commandments. The purpose of what it means to look at the face of God, to look at the laws of the Ten Commandments that he's given us, and to understand one that we've broken the law and number two that we deserve punishment if we do not understand that we've broken the law now see these two go hand in hand right like if you think you didn't break the law then you don't think you deserve a punishment if you think these laws are unfair you don't think that you deserve a punishment like the former thief but if you understand that these these laws are just then you accept the punishment and this is what we need to do as as believe as as people of god this is what happens in our conversion we we understand that we've broken god's law and that by nature we're objects of wrath and that we deserve the punishment of crucifixion or the punishment of death it's this understanding together that leads us into understanding that the mercy and the love of Jesus himself. Let me give you an example from, you know, from childhood. Uh, I'm sure many of you have grown up um, being spanked by your parents. Um, especially if you grew up in an Asian household, they do not withhold the rod. And you, you were spanked when, you know, you were growing up. There are times where you got spanked but there was no remorse you just knew you had to get punished you just sort of <sighs> bore the brunt of it you got spanked 
you walked away and go, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. There are but there are times where you know you've done something wrong. And hopefully you've all experienced it. If you, if you haven't experienced this, then um, well, we need to talk. But, but there are times probably when you were a kid where you knew you did something wrong. And you knew that you're, you should be punished for it. And the picture is what? A little kid who uh, knows they're supposed to be punished and they bring the, the stick or the belt and say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. Uh, I did such and such. And I know I need to be spanked here. That picture of a child that does that, the heart of that child brings joy to the heart of a parent, does it not? That the child understands that they're a sinner, that they've done wrong. And the child understands that there are consequences of wrath, fury, punishment for what you've done wrong. That's the lesson that's learned. In this passage here with the criminal, that's the same lesson that you and I need to learn. That our sins deserve to be punished. That it's not sort of this um, detached, cold, legalist, uh, legal standing before the God, before God itself, but that there is a component of a personal punishment and wrath that God, that Jesus Himself, has taken away from us. And so, because of His confession, Jesus sees that confession as a confession of true faith and says, "Truly, I say to you today." you will be with me in paradise. Brothers and sisters, I implore you not to separate unrighteousness from wrath, not to separate righteousness from propitiation, but to keep those two together, that you may see the fullness of what God has done for you. Your legal standing, yes, is perfect before the Lord. But someone else, Jesus himself, has borne the righteous wrath of God and has experienced the perfect punishment of God. And as you go in this world today, especially during this season, I pray that the Lord gives you um, wisdom, but courage when you are speaking with other people. Yes, be, hus be hospitable in, in the way that the Lord wants you to be. But in that hospitality of food and fellowship, do not fear talking about the hard things, about who Christ is and what he has done. For only the true Christ that we proclaim can save people. 
May the Lord continue to have mercy on us. Praise be to God for his infinite love. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you not only took away our sins, but you, you experienced the fullness of your Father's wrath. Lord, we, we don't even know what that looks like. We've been punished as children. We've been punished by other people. And we could barely, barely, Lord, uh, suffer through that. But what you suffered through is what we should have suffered through. And Lord God, we are extremely thankful. We are without words of that perfect love for us. Lord God, help us, Lord, not to fear other people and perhaps their anger or their wrath when we share the perfection of your love and the perfection of your wrath. For Lord God, nothing, nothing can separate us from you. But Lord, we also long for people who do not know you to know you, the true you, the biblical you, the Bible, the, the you that's described to you in the Bible, Lord God. That they too may have life and life everlasting. We thank you, Lord. Uh, bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.